Luke chapter 18, if you found your place, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Uh, So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll have prayer, and then we'll begin reading this passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 9. So let's pray together. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you, Lord, for your your Word and for the the message of salvation and uh, the Christmas season, knowing that Christ came to save. Lord, we just ask you to bless the reading of your Word this morning that you'd speak to every heart. Help us, Lord, that we might uh, truly know you as Savior and have that assurance that we need uh, as we live the Christian life and as we share the message with others. Uh, Lord, the greatest gift that has ever been given, the gift of salvation. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, verse 9 together, Luke chapter 18. The Bible says, And he spake this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And I'm looking at the Pharisee this morning in this passage of Scripture. I want to press, preach a message on this thought. Do you think you're saved? Do you think you're saved? Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> this is a very interesting passage. In this passage of Scripture, we find the Pharisee and the publican were given in contrast to one another. And the contrasting element here between the two men in their lives is their attitude. Their attitude about salvation in particular. Jesus gave this parable, and in verse 9 tells us why He gave the parable and to whom He gave the parable. So let's read verse 9 again. The Bible says there, And He spake this parable unto certain, Jesus knowing exactly who those were, but he said to certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now we we have a term for that. We call it self-righteousness. It's it's really a paradox uh, because we understand from the Scriptures that we are not righteous in and of ourselves. As a matter of fact, our works do not make us righteous before God. The contrary is actually true because the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in His sight. The problem with mankind is that we and everything we do is contaminated by sin. And until we come to Christ in true salvation... And then He declares us righteous, not because of what we have or because of what we have done, 
But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that payment then gets applied to our account. Our sins are forgiven. They're wiped clean. And we are declared righteousness based on the righteousness of Christ. Yet that's not what we see in the attitude of this Pharisee. In John 5.39, Jesus challenged the Pharisees by saying, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Just as this Pharisee in the parable, the one who everyone thought would have been religious, would have been accepted by God, this Pharisee, Jesus is using this Pharisee and the image of a Pharisee in this parable to show us that there is no salvation in self-righteousness. And he contrasted that with the publican. Of course, the publican being the person that everybody would have thought, certainly he is condemned. And the opposite comes out in the conclusion when Jesus said, this man went home justified rather than the Pharisee that everyone would have thought to be justified. This Pharisee also thought he had eternal life. He thought he was saved. Yet the Lord reported another conclusion. Well, I want to make it clear this morning, my goal is not to make a saved person doubt. I find no pleasure in doing that. I have heard preachers preach salvation in a way that seemed to cause that. And I want, you to, I want to let you know at the outset that is not my goal this morning. Sometimes we struggle with the confidence of our salvation and the assurance of our salvation. And I want to help that a little more tonight. But this morning, I just want to make sure that we have a strong biblical basis for the understanding of our salvation. And here we find this Pharisee, one who knew the Scriptures. And that's why Jesus challenged them, search the Scriptures, for in them, he said, you think you have eternal life. You know, we don't want to have a think-so salvation. We want to have a no-so salvation. But a no-so salvation doesn't come by how we feel or what we do. A no-so salvation comes from understanding the Scriptures and making sure that we have done what the Bible says. So here we find this parable given to this end, to, to move us to the Scripture, to move us beyond ourselves, beyond our thoughts, our feelings, and our conclusions about salvation, and into God's perspective of what must be done so that we might be saved. When you've done what the Bible says, then you can have a no-so salvation. So how about it this morning? Are you saved? Do you think you're saved? What does your attitude reflect about your condition before God? This parable will help us analyze some of those things. Notice here, if you would, the attitude of the publican. You know, the Pharisee is the one who bragged about himself and what he had done and, and how good he, he thought he was. The problem is, this Pharisee was looking at himself in the mirror. He was looking at himself from his point of view and not from God's point of view. 
And we find the publican had the ability, and I want you to understand this, the publican had the insight to see himself from God's point of view, not from his own. I don't know if you've realized this, but there are people in life who are unable or unwilling or maybe both to see themselves from God's point of view. They're not interested in that. As a matter of fact, they're not even interested in seeing themselves from your point of view. They delight, like this Pharisee, in seeing themselves from their own perspective. And they're unwilling to consider anything else. You know, the Bible has a word for that. It's called pride. And the Bible says pride will bring a man low. And certainly it did. This Pharisee who thought he was elevated in society and elevated uh, uh, above others and elevated before God, he found himself cut to the ground. Jesus said, the publican went home justified, not the Pharisee. What a shock. And yet it's true. Let's believe the Bible this morning. Let's trust God and let's see what the Bible has to say about how we stand before Him. Notice that Jesus used this publican. The Pharisee bragged about how good he was. He bragged about all the bad things that he had not done. And then he said, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Well, hey, those are, those are seemingly great things. But salvation doesn't come by what we do. It comes by what Jesus did. And so Jesus said in verse 13, The publican standing afar off would not lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What does that tell us? It tells us first that the publican had a humble attitude toward, uh, before God. He had a humble attitude. Standing afar off. Notice that first of all, he didn't march himself down to the front as if he deserved to be there, as if he owned a place before God, as if, as if he demanded a, a position in God's presence like this Pharisee. No, the Bible says he was standing afar off. That's the first thing we notice, that he didn't feel worthy to even approach. He had a humble attitude. The Bible says he would not lift up his eyes so much as to heaven. Think about that. What does the Bible say about humility in James 4.10? It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You know, God delights in lifting up those who are humble. But what does the Bible say that God will do to the proud? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says this. It says, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. No doubt, as these two men stood in the temple in this, in this parable, God's attention was drawn not to the Pharisee, but to the publican. Because of his humility, God's attention, his heart went to him. God likes humility, and God understands when we come in that approach. The publican had a humble attitude before God. Being humble before God means that you are not trusting in your own goodness for salvation. 
this publican understood that there was nothing in his life, there were no deeds that he had accomplished that rendered him worthy before God. That's the reason for his position standing in the back, his, his, his standing afar off. That's the reason for his perspective that he didn't lift up his eyes to heaven. He stood there humbly. That's the reason why he said, be merciful to me. He already knew where he stood in God's perspective. Being humble before God means that you're not trusting your own goodness. This morning, you may think you're saved, but if you're trusting what you did to get you saved, that's the wrong foundation to build on. That is not what gets you saved. How do we know that? Well, because the Bible says in Titus 3.5, and in many other places, but I'll just share the one. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saves us. Check it out. He saved us. Let me ask you a question. If you're saved this morning, who saved you? Did He save you or did you save you? I got news for you. If you did the saving, then you're not very saved. The Bible says salvation means to be born again. Being born again means to be born from above. So have you been born from above? Have you been born of God? Jonah said salvation is of the Lord. It certainly is. Salvation is the work of the Lord. It's not our work. According to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your life. It's not a work of your hands. It's not a work of your decisions. It's not a work of your behavior. It's a work of His. Isaiah 64, 6. I quoted this a moment ago, but now you can see it. The prophet Isaiah alluded to this truth when he said, All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And the rags he had in mind were, were, were the used, soiled rags that the lepers would take off of their skin and pile away to discard. Have you imagined how gross and putrefying that would be? How disgusting those rags are? That is what our good works look like to God. And that's why this morning there's nothing you can do or I can do. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. So if you think you're saved this morning because you're a good person, like this Pharisee, because you've done good things in life, you think you're saved because you go to church once in a while, uh, because you treat people fairly, I, I got news for you. That's the wrong foundation you're building on. Salvation comes from the Lord, not from you. It doesn't come by turning over a new leaf. It doesn't come by dropping a bad habit. It doesn't come by joining a church. It doesn't come by putting your name on a roll or following the Lord in baptism. The Bible says baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Read the book of Peter. It is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It doesn't wash away your sins. The songwriter had it correct. What can wash away my sins? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is why Jesus died on the cross. If there was any other way to earn salvation, if there was any other way to be cleansed of your sin, if you could go through a baptistry and be saved, then Jesus could have been spared from the cross. But He was not spared. And the reason He was not spared is because there was no other way. Because our works are not good enough. As a matter of fact, if we see our good works the way God sees them, they are not even good. Think about what Isaiah said. That pile of rags, putrid, disgusting. That is, he said that is all of our righteousness. That's our good stuff. The way God sees our good stuff, it's contaminated with our sinfulness. And therefore, it's not really good at all, is it? That's why when the man came up to Jesus in the New Testament and said, Good Master, Jesus stopped him immediately and said, Whoa, wait. Why, call, why callest thou me good? He said, There is none good but one that is God. In another place, Jesus was teaching the disciples about prayer, and He said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more your Heavenly Father. He called us evil. You see, if we humble ourselves and see us the way God sees us, like this publican, we soon understand that we are not good. And our good deeds are but filthy rags. And they can in no way save us. The Pharisee was wrong. The publican had a humble attitude toward God and he realized that it was not from his own goodness, but salvation would only come through the mercy and grace of God. Being humble before God means that you accept God's terms of salvation. You know, there's a lot of people that are interested in coming to church and being saved if they can come on their terms. You know what I'm talking about. But what are God's terms? Let's look at some of those. Well, number one, God's terms is that we understand something from the beginning. If we're going to be saved by the Lord... If Jesus' death on the cross and the shedding of His blood is going to save us, first of all, we have to accept what God said about man. He said that mankind is lost. We're talking about salvation. That means we have to understand that we need salvation. And if we need salvation, it's because we're lost. Because we're undone, because we're not good enough on our own. John chapter 3 and verse 18 says this about mankind. It says that we're condemned already. Why? Because we've not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. He didn't say because our lives are a wreck and because they're full of unrighteous deeds. He could have said that. 
But what he is saying is this, no matter how much good you think you have in your life, you still need the grace of God and the salvation that Jesus brings. And without that, you're condemned already. Why? Because man is lost. Number two, because man needs to be saved. I'm talking about mankind in general. In John chapter 3, verse 3, when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the Jews, one of the leading Pharisees of his day, a man who should have known this, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. What was he saying? He's saying, look, trying harder isn't good enough. Doing better isn't good enough. Going to church isn't good enough. Being a member, being baptized, none of that. It's not good enough. You must be born again. Hey, Nicodemus, you become a Pharisee. It's not good enough. Nicodemus, you've memorized the first five books of the Bible. It's not good enough. Nicodemus, you live by the law of God and you fulfill all of those commandments. It's not good enough. He said you must be born again. How about it this morning? Have you been born again? Have you been saved by the grace of God? Not by your own works. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not only that, we have to understand these are God's terms. We have to understand that Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We don't come like the Pharisee by ourselves. We don't come by our goodness. We don't come by the things we do or don't do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It says that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. And we would too. If you could get saved, if you could go to heaven based on what you do or don't do, you'd get to heaven and you'd brag about it. You'd say, hey, let me tell you what I did to get here. You'd say, hey, let me tell you what I avoided to get here. Let me tell you how good I was. Right? You know, we, we, like, we like telling our stories. We, we, like, we like sharing our accomplishments and our successes. We like bragging on that. Matter of fact, I heard a preacher one time talking about his football days as, as, a, you know, as an adolescent, as a, as a child growing up. He talked about how he was, you know, played football and did so well, and, and uh, he was getting a little carried away with that. <laughs> we were laughing at him. And he started laughing. He realized. And he said, you know, as a matter of fact, he said, the older I get, the better I was. <laughs> and isn't that how it is? You know, it really doesn't matter. But when we look back at the good old days, the further back, the better they were, right? And that's just our nature. And that's exactly why we can't save ourselves. Because our nature is sinful. It's braggadocious. It's selfish. Carnal. That's why we need the salvation that Jesus offers. 
The salvation He died to secure on the cross. And if we could be saved of our own terms, then the Lord wouldn't have had to die that way. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Here's the last of God's terms. When we understand all this, we realize this is also true. You cannot save yourself. If you're going to be saved the Bible way, you're going to have to understand you cannot save yourself. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Now, this is a little bit of theological hair splitting, but I'm going to go ahead and split it for you. Look at this verse and answer a question for me. Are you forgiven on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus, or are you forgiven on the basis of His death on the cross? I told you this was hair-splitting. You really don't get one without the other, right? But I want you to understand, it wasn't just the death of Jesus. His shed blood became the cleansing agent the dawn detergent, if you will, that washes away our sins. Don't miss that. The shed blood of Jesus. That's why in the Old Testament they had to sacrifice those lambs. What was all that about? The book of Hebrews says, never did, a, did, did the sacrificial system, the shedding of the, of the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, that never took away sin then why did they do it? Because it was a pictorial representation of what Jesus was coming to do. And all of those in the Old Testament, when they participated in that system, they were demonstrating their faith in God's plan for salvation. It showed that they were trusting His work, not theirs. Listen, everybody in all time periods were all saved the same way. By faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that saves anybody. The Old Testament saints were saved by faith. They looked forward believing Christ would come. Their participation in the sacrificial system was a demonstration of that inward faith that Christ would come and save them. That's why they were held over in paradise until Jesus died on the cross. When He said, it's finished, He was buried. The Bible says He took those that were captive and He released them. They went on to heaven after that. Guess what? We're in the New Testament over here. Here we are 2,000 years after Christ died on the cross. And what do we do? We are looking back and we are demonstrating faith in the fact that He came. We are putting our trust in what He has already done for salvation. All of us in all time are looking to the cross. The blood of Jesus, that's what saves. That's the cleansing agent. That's what removes sin. 
Not good deeds, not church membership, not even baptism. What removes sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is God's plan. The publican had a humble attitude. Number two, he had an honest attitude. He had an honest attitude. What did he say as he stood afar off, as he bowed his head? He said, God, be merciful to me. Sinner. I don't know about you, but I've, I've shared the Scriptures with some people who weren't willing to say that they were a sinner. Oh, okay. Well, I want you to understand something. Until, until you see yourself as a sinner, you can't be saved. The Bible says that's who Jesus came to save. He came into the world to save sinners. If you're not a sinner, then you're not one of them. You're not a candidate. Your pride is keeping you from it. This publican said... God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Maybe you've heard somebody say it like this. They've said, you have to get lost before you can get saved. In other words, you have to get to the point that you realize you are guilty, you have sinned, you do fall short of the glory of God, that you need salvation until you understand that. That's what what helps you realize you're a candidate. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But until you're willing to confess that God is right, and that includes you, until somebody understands that, they're not ready to be saved. They're not ready to put their trust in Christ. They don't understand what it's all about because they don't realize they need the cleansing that Christ died to to bring. He was honest about his condition before God. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. And I have found most people are willing to say, I'm not perfect. Oh, you're right, preacher, I'm not perfect. But the Bible goes beyond that. In verse 23 of Romans 3, it says, For all have sinned. Not only are you not perfect, but the Bible says you've sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means you won't make it by yourself. You fall short. You're not going to make it. You're not going to go to heaven based on yourself and what you do or can do. You fall short of the glory of God. It's like you can't reach it, like you need a stepladder. You need something else to get you there. Your sin causes you to fall short. That's why Jesus came to save The publican was honest about his need for salvation. We looked at John 3, 18. He that believeth is not condemned, or excuse me, he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed. But you see, the Bible tells us that when we believe in Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Him, the Bible says we're saved. We're saved by that faith and by the blood that Jesus shed for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This is what some people don't understand. The Bible says all have sinned, but the Bible also says the wages of sin is death. 
Now, if you do a little Bible study, you find out that God defines the word death differently than we do. Sometimes we think of death as the end. You just cease to exist right there. That's it. That's, it's over. But in the Bible, it's not over. The Bible describes death as a separation, not an end. The first death is when your body and soul separate. Well, we know what happens. You put the body in the ground. But what about the soul? The Bible teaches the soul lives forever. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us there's, there's life beyond death for the soul. Jesus told another story about a rich man who died and woke up in hell. Why did he wake up in hell? Because the wages of sin is death. The first death is separating from your body and soul separate. But the Bible says in the book of Revelation, the second death is when you're separated from God and you're cast into what we call hell. The Bible calls it the lake of fire. This is why you need to be saved because without Jesus and the shedding of His blood to wash away your sins, you are on the conveyor belt headed toward death. And if you die without Jesus, you will die twice. You will be separated your body and soul will separate, and then your soul will be separated from God because you will die in your sins. When you die in your sins, you will not be allowed access into heaven. And you, like the rich man, will wake up in hell, and it'll be too late to do anything about it then. The rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Well, he prayed the right prayer too late. If he had prayed that one day sooner, he would have been in heaven. One day sooner. That's why I feel sorry for those people who say, Preacher, one day I'm going to go to church. One day I'm going to get right with God. Preacher, one day I'm going to get saved. I'm going to do that one day. Yeah, but it's probably going to be one day too late. I hope that's not you this morning. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. The Hebrew writer didn't say it. But we're talking about escaping hell. What is so important to escape from? How do you escape if we neglect so great salvation? God provided a way out for you. Free. All you have to do is receive it. If you reject that, then it's not God's fault you went to hell. Don't tell me God sent you to hell if you rejected the free gift He offered you otherwise. The publican had an honest attitude about himself, but also Jesus said that he had an honorable attitude. Notice what the Bible says. It says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, talking about the Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This man went down to his house justified. God honored the attitude of the publican because it was a humble attitude, because it was an honest attitude. 
And I think he was able to have that right attitude because he was willing to see himself from God's perspective. He was willing to understand what God saw when he looked at him. And this morning, if you are going to be saved, if you're going to have a no-so salvation, you're going to have to be willing to see yourself the way God sees you. Lost as a sinner in need of salvation. And that's why Jesus died. His attitude was honorable because he acknowledged his sinful condition. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Note that the Pharisee did not. He wouldn't admit he was a sinner. As a matter of fact, he was braggadocious about all of his good deeds. He tried to hold them up before God and to impress God with what he thought was his goodness. It didn't work. He tried to justify himself and his condition. He did not convince God. He failed. The publican's attitude was honorable because he asked for mercy. He asked for salvation. The Pharisee never did that. He did not ask for either because he didn't think he needed it. He saw himself above those things. He felt he was too good or good enough. And he never asked for salvation. He was trying to earn it on his own. If you look back in the Bible, all the way to the beginning, there's a story in the Bible that teaches us the same thing. It's the story of Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve. You remember Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and what did God do? God had to give them a Bible lesson about sin. And so He took a lamb, and God had to slay that lamb and teach Adam and Eve about the shedding of blood and what would come. Because God knew before He ever made Adam and Eve what was going to happen. This was not plan B for God. He already knew in advance what He would do. God had a plan of salvation before He ever said, let there be. Aren't you glad about that? That's why He's God. You remember that when you're having a bad day. You remember that when nothing's going right. God is above all that. He's still in control, even when we're not. God had a plan, and so He taught Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, they wore the skins of those lambs as a constant reminder of, of, the, of what their sin caused and, and the payment that God would one day make for their sin. So God taught them that about salvation. Cain and Abel, their children, came up. As they were adults, the Bible records what happened in their lives one day. Cain came to worship the Lord. What did he do? He brought one of the lambs. He slayed it just like Adam and Eve were taught. The shedding of blood, the picture of the cross. Abel brought the right kind of offering. He was obeying God's terms for salvation. He was doing it God's way. He was showing his faith in God's plan. But Cain had a better idea. He said, well, Abel is a shepherd. And if he can bring one of his lambs, then I can bring some of the crops that I planted. 
and I'll just bring my goodness before God. What was the problem? The problem was Cain's perspective. The way Cain saw all of this was different than the way Abel saw it. Abel saw through the eyes of obedience. He was willing to do what God said. He was willing to worship on God's terms. Cain came on his own terms. So Cain looked at Abel's offering as the fruit of his flock. Well, Abel brought one of his good lambs. He said, so I'm going to bring some of my good harvest, and I'm going to lay that out before God. And what happened? The Bible says that God accepted Abel's offering because it was the right kind. But God rejected Cain's offering. Why? Because it was the wrong kind. He brought the best of his effort. God said, no, that's not how salvation works. It doesn't come through the best of your effort. It comes through the shedding of blood that Jesus is going to give one day. And your worship needs to be a picture of that. And Abel said, no. Not going to do it that way. Cain said, I got my own terms. I think my stuff is good enough. As a matter of fact, when God rejected Cain's offering, Cain got angry at God. And God said, why are you angry? If you do well, won't you be accepted? God is no respecter of persons. If Cain had brought the right kind of offering, if Cain had obeyed God's instructions, God would have received him too. But Cain was in defiance of God when he thought, I can do it based on my effort. The same principle is true today when people try to come to God proclaiming their goodness. When, tr- when people think that they can be saved by being better and doing good and all of that, it amazes me sometimes when you tell people about Jesus and how He loved them, how He died on the cross to save them from their sins. And you know what they say? Something like this. Well, hey, uh, I- I'm going I'm to get my act together and then I'm going to come to church. <laughs> you missed it. You can't get your act together. You can't overcome sin by yourself. You got the cart before the horse. What you do is you come to Jesus, you cling to Him, you receive Christ as your Savior, let Him wash away your sins, and you come to church anyway, and then God will help you get your act together. That's the way it works. That's like saying you're going to clean the fish before you catch them. No, 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 no. That's like saying, I'm sick and I know I need to go to the doctor, but hey, as soon as I get better, then I'm going to go. You get better, you don't need to go. You miss the point. That's not the way it works. You go to the doctor in order to get better. And that's exactly why you come to Jesus. That's exactly why you get saved. Because before, without Him, you can't do anything good. Goodness begins with Jesus Christ. So receive Him. 
And you can be saved today and have the, the no-so kind of salvation. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul made a comment as he was addressing the Philippian church, and he said something uh, that I want you to see. Notice he said, Doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul was a Pharisee. He was like the Pharisee in this, in this uh, portion that we read. Paul had all those good deeds, all those credentials. He fasted, he obeyed the law, all of this kind of stuff. Paul said, I gave that up for Jesus. He said, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And then in verse 9, he said something that the Pharisees would have a hard time understanding. He said, I want to be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul said, I don't want to have my own righteousness. I don't want to be all my goodness stacked up. Because he knew how God looks at that. He knew what that pile of goodness would look like to God. He said, I don't want that. I want the righteousness that comes through Jesus. And then in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, he talked about his brethren, Israel. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about the Pharisees. He said, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. It's a good word, isn't it? Submitted. You know what? Submit means to give in. It means to put yourself under. To submit. The only way to be saved is to give in to God and to come on His terms. To understand that you're, you're a sinner, you're guilty, that you're lost, and allow Him to save you. Not you save yourself. It doesn't mean that we don't ever try to do good. It just means that we know that our goodness is not what's going to get us to heaven. And then once we receive Christ, we do good not to get saved, but because we are. Now we do good out of gratitude toward Him. Because of our love for Jesus and what He do, do, has done for us, now we want to be good as a, as a thank you. As a way of worshiping Him, we now live for Him. That's what Paul was talking about. He talked about the righteousness of God. It's the righteousness that you get when you receive Jesus as your Savior. In heaven, God takes the payment that that blood made and He applies it to your life and to your account. And then God, like a judge, says, clean, forgiven. And God declares you to be righteous. You are legally declared to be righteous at that point because the payment of your sin has been fully made and it is a payment that God, a righteous God, can accept. 
God can't accept your little fruit basket of good works. But He can and will accept the offering Jesus made on the cross. All you have to do is receive it. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. He didn't say to them who go to church, to them who live a righteous life, to them who do good deeds. No. He said to them who believe on His name. Those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. How about you today? Have you received Christ? Have you allowed His blood to be the payment to cover your sins? To wash them all away? If you've received Him as your Savior, then you can have the assurance, the no-so kind of salvation, that when you die, you're forgiven. Heaven will be your home. Amen? That is the payment God will accept. Thank the Lord for that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, how we love You today and how we thank You so much for the clear teaching of Your Word. Lord, that we might be saved and that we might know that we're saved. Not hope so, guess so, think so. But Lord, You give us clarity that we might know that our salvation is not in us, but it is in Christ. It's not in our own righteousness, but it's the righteousness of God that we receive by faith when we accept Christ. And so Lord, we thank You today for that kind of salvation. And we ask You, Lord, to help us as we share it with others. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen.